Uh, I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you came in today as we continue uh, our series entitled, Excelling in Our Love for One Another. In this series, we are simply walking through uh, the one another passages in the New Testament uh, to learn how to love one another in the church family. And today, we conclude Lesson 5, which evolves around the one another verses found in the book of Galatians. Now, last Sunday, uh, we covered all the information on the front side of your sermon notes and the first point on the back side. Uh, But I would like you to follow along beginning at uh, at the start of your notes as uh, I'd like to do just a very, very brief review. And notice we started with a review of the last message, of course, which was Lesson 4. And in Lesson 4, as you see there in your notes, we examined 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, where the Apostle Paul used the human body as an analogy on how God designed the church to function as the body of Christ on earth. Believers make up the many parts of the body with diverse gifts and functions. Christ is, of course, the head directing the body, and the Holy Spirit indwells the body to coordinate and empower the diverse members to function in unity under the direction of Christ the head. And in that passage, Paul drove home three lessons. First, many parts but what? One body. The body is made up of many members, many parts, various functions and abilities, but there's just one body. The second truth, many parts, but each important. Uh, We are all important to the body of Christ. Uh, Everyone has a unique gift that God has given them. Every person has a unique place and function Uh, where God wants them to exercise their gifts within the body for the common good of the body. So many parts, uh, but just like our human bodies, each member, every part is important. We are each important. And then many parts, the third point, but all interdependent upon one another. We are vitally connected. We desperately need one another. We're dependent upon uh, one another. Just like in our human body, if... uh, If I lose use of a leg, that affects my whole body. And so, just the same way in the body of Christ. Now, the application, as you see there in your notes, since you cannot separate the head from the body, an attack on any member of the body is an attack on Christ. And since all members of the body are vitally connected and interdependent on one another, to attack one another... And bring division to the body is an act of self-destruction. Therefore, instead of fighting with one another, we need to care for one another. To ensure that every member is healthy and effectively carrying out their function in the body of Christ. And this is the very point that was emphasized in the only one another verse in 1 Corinthians. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 that you see there in your notes. There should be no division in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. Now, introduction to today's message. Today's message from Galatians, we need to see, is significantly related 
to the message on 1 Corinthians 12 as we look at the two one another verses in the book of Galatians, which teach us, and here's the key, which teach us how to care for one another in the body of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 made the argument how we desperately need to care for one another because we are so vitally connected. We are interdependent upon one another. We need one another. But now Galatians gets very specific on how we do that. And, of course, there are the two one another passages in Galatians. The first is, as you see there, chapter 5, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, in the larger context uh, in which these verses are found, we discover four ways now on how to care for one another in the body of Christ. And last uh, Sunday, we did have time to cover at least that first point. We are to serve one another. We're to serve one another. Again, look at uh, that passage. For you were called to freedom, brethren, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Why? Because the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now, again, this is just a very brief review. I believe last Sunday there were three key takeaways from that message, and here they are very, very uh, briefly. Number one, believers, we saw, are not called to legalism, where we try to win God's love by keeping rules. Nor are we called to license, where we abandon all rules and do whatever we please. We are called to a freedom in Christ that is to be controlled, restrained by love. In our relationship with God, we are not free to do whatever pleases us, but to what? Do whatever pleases Him. Motivated by our love for Christ. In our relationships with one another, we are not free to exploit others, but to serve others out of love for them. The second takeaway from last Sunday, love your neighbor as yourself is a command to take the instinctive love you have for yourself and make it the measuring rod of your love and service to others. In other words, we're to care about what happens to others as much as we care about what happens, what? To me. And then the third takeaway from last Sunday was the tragic alternative if we do not care for one another. We will literally consume one another in the fires of our own selfish desires. Now, Before we move from this first point on serving one another, let me sum it up this way. Even as Christ, our Lord, our Master, the one that we follow, even as He came into the world, not to be served, but to serve, by sacrificially giving His life a ransom for many in the same way, 
Every believer has been placed by God in the body of Christ, not to be served, but to serve by giving your life sacrificially for others. And can you imagine what would happen in any church family where everyone embraced that attitude? Where they come to church, not, it's not about what I'm going to get, but what can I give? Not only what can I give to God, but what can I give to my fellow believers? And uh, before I move to that second point, here's a beautiful prayer that we should all pray that was voiced by Robert Rains. He said, Lord, and I think we can all identify with this, Lord, notice the honesty, Lord, I size up people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, ego, satisfy my needs, give me strategic advantage. I exploit people, ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own sake. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors, your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank check for whatever I want. Change me, Lord. Make me a man who ask of you and of others, what can I do for you? That's the attitude that the Apostle Paul is taking about, talking about in terms of how we're to care for one another in the body of Christ. Now, look at the second way that we're to care for one another in the body of Christ. We are to restore one another. To restore one another. And this is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brethren... Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. And circle that word, restore. It's the key word in the verse. Restore such a one in a spirit of, and you might want to circle this word, in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The word restore is a fascinating word in the Greek text. It's katerizo. And the word literally means to repair, to mend, to fix something that is broken or turn or, or torn. Uh, in the Greek language, the word was used of a doctor setting a broken bone or putting a dislocated limb back into place so that it could be used again. Here in Galatians 6.1, the word, of course, refers to performing spiritual surgery on a member of the body of Christ who has become broken by sin so that they once again can work properly and perform their vital functions for the benefit of the whole body. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, since every member of the body of Christ is important and since we are all interdependent, when a member of the body falls into sin, it hurts all of us. If I wound my hand, I will instinctively, what, take care of it. Because I know if I don't and I allow that wound to become infected, I am in danger of not only losing the use of my hand, but this could possibly be fatal to me, <laughs> the whole body. Therefore, the goal with any believer who falls into sin is not to cast them out, 
but to restore them to spiritual health. See, sin is a breakdown in the body of Christ, and it has to be repaired so the body can function as God intended it to. Now, let's ask two questions that are answered in this one verse. Who should restore a member of the body of Christ who has fallen into sin, who's been caught in a trespass? Well, Galatians 6.1 answers. You see that? You who are, what's the word? You who are spiritual, restore such one. Now listen very carefully to me. This is not a reference to the ministerial staff. It's not a reference to the pastor and to the elders. It's not a reference to the deacons. This refers to any member in the body of Christ walking with Christ, exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit listed back in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. If you know someone in the body of Christ wounded by sin, you are called by God to make every effort to restore that person to spiritual health, not only for their good, but for the good of the entire body of Christ. No one can say of a fellow believer's sin, that's not my business. It's his, not mine. See, we are so connected to one another in the body of Christ, we are to care for one another. And how can we truly care for one another if we are not willing to lovingly confront one another when there is sin that not only damages a brother or sister, but also threatens the health and the proper function of the body of Christ? Second question. And a most important one to answer, how are we to restore a member of the body of Christ who has been caught in trespass? How are we to reach out to attempt to restore them, bring them back to spiritual health and their, finding their place in the body of Christ and functioning properly? Well, again, this verse answers that. Restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, some of the Bibles translate that meekness. And then it says, each one looking to what? Yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Now, the word gentleness is the key. In the Greek, it's the word preodes. And it, as I mentioned earlier, is often translated meekness as well. Now, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said this concerning himself. He said, I am gentle and of humble spirit. Gentleness, if you notice, was listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that I just read a moment ago. It's one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Therefore, gentleness or meekness is a Christ-like quality that can only be produced through the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Now, how would you define gentleness? What is exactly this quality? Now, many people view this word as being synonymous with a weakness, but that is a, a terrible mistake. The Greek word was actually used of uh, breaking or taming a wild horse. Now, just think about that. 
A horse that becomes broken or tamed, it does not lose its strength. It does not lose its unique temperament. But what does happen? Everything is brought under the control of the master. Therefore, gentleness can be defined as strength under God's control. It's your personality. It's your temperament. It's the unique gifts that you have. The entirety of your being brought under the control of God. Now, where does gentleness begin? It begins right here. With the surrender of my will, my rights, my expectations, and my preferences to God. See, we do have to cooperate with God in this process. So it begins by me acknowledging I have been purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb. Therefore, I am not my own. I live to glorify God. Therefore, I get on my knees before God. And I say, God, in light of that, I submit myself to your absolute authority over my life. I live for one reason, to serve not my agenda, but your agenda. Not my will, your will. And I live not to seek the applause of men, but to seek your approval and your approval alone. Therefore, Lord, I'm your bond slave. I'm your servant. I surrender to you all my rights, all my expectations in life, all my preferences in life to serve you and to serve you alone. That's where it begins. And that's an attitude that we need to maintain on a daily basis. That needs to become the very focus and center of all of our prayers uh, in life, to maintain that attitude of humility and surrender. But let me say, and we all realize this as believers, gentleness is really not going to be acquired apart from God breaking me of my pride and my self-centeredness in order to learn humility and that I'm totally dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And this often involves a long process. So, one of the prayers I pray every day in my life is simply something like this. I say, I say, God, I'm yours. I give up my rights. And Lord, I give you the freedom. Not not that God necessarily needs it, but again, He wants us to cooperate with Him. He, he doesn't want us to resist. He wants us to be tender in His hands that He fashions Him. And so, Lord, I give you the freedom to arrange the affairs of my life in any way you please, to accomplish your work so that you would break Andy Merritt. You would tame Andy Merritt. You do whatever is necessary to bring me to that place of total and utter humility and dependence upon you. Where I offer you no resistance, but I'm tender. And everything that comes into my life, good and bad, joyful and sorrowful, pleasure and pain, 
I receive it as a gift from you to shape me, to meek me, to tame me, to break me. But folks, when an individual begins to learn the gentleness of Jesus, and again, it is a process, but when he begins to learn that, everything changes. Everything changes. A gentle person, and here are the characteristics. A gentle person no longer uses his strength and resources to serve himself, but rather to serve God and others. A gentle person measures his gains not by what he gets in life, but what he gives to others. And probably the greatest quality of a gentle person is this. In human relationships, a gentle person has absolutely no interest in God taking sides. His only interest and desire is for God to take over. He has no interest in human relationships and winning an argument. His focus is winning his brother. And see, this enables the gentle or meek person, and here's the key, to stay calm and control in very difficult and heated situations. He realizes, and this is a tough lesson to learn in life. I know I haven't arrived yet. I'm still learning, but God's working on me. He realizes as important as what you say is how you say it. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Listen, this captures this well. It says, The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome. See, if you're a person that's given to uncontrollable anger, whether it's, you know, you, you, you could either blow up or you can clam up. Both of those are sinful expressions because you're really not addressing the problem to resolve it in a God-given manner. But if you're given to that, if you're given to arguing, quarreling, that is the greatest evidence that you need to be meeked, tamed, broken by God. And that's part of the process. I mean, it happens to me all the time. You know, I'll, I'll, well, I was about to say something I shouldn't say, but uh, this happened with me with my wife, with my children, in other situations. And I need to come out of that. I need to fall on my knees and say, God, there it is. There's the evidence that I need you. I need you to break me. I need you to tame me. Lord, I, I, forgive me. And then, of course, I need to seek that person's forgiveness. But, it, but that, that's, again, an opportunity for me to acknowledge my need for God in this process to learn meekness, to learn gentleness. So the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach. Patient when wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. There's that same word, in meekness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance. 
leading to the knowledge of the truth. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 25.15, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Now what does that verse mean? Well, I think very simply, the tongue is one of the softest members of the body, one of the most flexible members of the body, as it gives us the ability to have speech, while a bone is what? The most rigid member of the body. And the point of this verse is this, a person who knows how to speak gently will always be more effective in human relationships than a person who is rigid and severe. Another version translates this verse very well. A gentle word can get through to the hard heart, hard-headed. May take a little while, but it'll get through. Now, with that background on the word, it should be obvious, very obvious, why gentleness is such an important quality in confronting a sinning brother or sister in Christ. You need to have the ability what? To talk straight. I mean, there is a tough aspect of love, but at the same time, your words need to be bathed in what? Love. In tenderness. I love the way the reformer Martin Luther put this way back many, many years ago. Listen to this. He says, run. He's talking about ministering to those that have fallen, caught in trespass. Run unto him. And reaching out your hand, raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. And us men can do this. I, I'm, I've always been fascinated at 1 Thessalonians 2, where Paul, referring to his ministry to the members of the church at Thessalonica, he said, he said, I embraced you. He said, I cared for you as a mother tenderly cares for her nursing child. A man said that. The Apostle Paul. I cared for you. As a nursing mother would tenderly care for her child. He said, I'm affectionate towards you. Therefore, it was pleased. I was pleased not just to give you the gospel. Not just to give you truth. But he says what? My very life. He says, because you were dear to me. You were dear to me. Um, going back to Galatians 6.1, notice not only go to the sinning member in gentleness, but also in humility. Notice the end of verse 1. Each one looking to what? Yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. There is no place for a superior or holier-than-thou attitude in the body of Christ. We're all together in this battle of sin. We're all vulnerable. We're all susceptible. And today I might be going to you uh, to challenge you, to restore you, but tomorrow you may be coming to me. Uh, we need one another. So we approach the sinning member with the attitude, but for the grace of God, what? There go I. Look in your notes at the third way we're to care for one another in the body of Christ. And... Um, I'm going to have to speed up just a little bit, but uh, I trust this will be very meaningful. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to bear one another's burdens. 
Uh, look at verses 2 through 5. Bear one another's burdens. Here's that one another passage. And thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to, an, uh, to another. Verse 5, for each one will bear his own burden or his own load. Now, just for the sake of time, I think the easiest way probably to approach these verses is to address what appears to be two glaring contradictions. And I hope you noticed them. In verse 2, we're told what? To bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, we're told each one should bear his own burden. It just seems to be opposite. It seems to be a contradiction. Then in the second contradiction, in verse 3, we're told if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Of course, an obvious warning against pride. And then in verse 4, we're told each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting. So, you know, how, you know, how do you reconcile what seems to be contradictions here? Well, the first contradiction, or seeming contradiction, they're really not, and we'll see that, concerning burdens, it's cleared up when you understand that to- two totally different words were used by the Apostle Paul. Two totally different words in the Greek text. In verse 2, burdens is the word baros, which refers to very, very heavy loads that are difficult to lift, difficult to carry. So used metaphorically as it is here, what Paul is referring to is any difficulty or, person, or, or problem, any difficulty or problem a person has trouble coping with. In other words, any adversity that would uh, threaten to overwhelm this person and potentially crush this person under the load. And then in verse 5, the word, again, is fortion, which refers to a backpack that you would wear. Uh, the word uh, was often used just to uh, refer to the general obligations of life that a person is responsible to bear on his own. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is every one of us will hit times in life where a burden comes crashing down on us that's that's beyond our ability to shoulder alone. And without help from other members of the body of Christ, we will be crushed. We will be overwhelmed. We'll fall in despair, uh, discouragement, uh, worrying, whatever it might be. And so Paul's saying in the body of Christ, you need to be very sensitive when those times come. When a person is just overwhelmed and, and, and they're just being crushed, we need, to, as the body of Christ, to rush to that individual to, to help you know, get up underneath that load with our shoulders and help lift it up together. But at the same time, Paul is saying, you know, there's a load that we all have to bear ourselves. I can't believe for you. I can't trust God for you. I can't obey God for you. See, we're all responsible in terms of our relationship with God and responding in trust and obedience. So, yes, I can come to your aid to help you shoulder that burden, but only you can be the one to put your trust 
and demonstrate your obedience in God, even in a time when you may not can trace God's hand, you're called upon to trust God's heart. Now, the second contradiction is cleared up when you realize that in verses 3 and 4, Paul is giving a warning against pride that could possibly prevent a believer from coming to the aid of a struggling brother or sister uh, to assist them in bearing their heavy burden. Uh, uh, See, there is the temptation uh, to compare myself to the struggling brother or sister as if I must be stronger spiritually. I must be at a higher level because look at how they're struggling. Poor, weak believer. And at times we can even view them as a nuisance. And this can be something that would prevent us with sensitivity, with gentleness to reach out to that individual. It can can create a harshness, a rigidity in our lives where instead of getting up under and shoulding, we, we sort of just go and give them a lecture. But in verse 4, when he says, you know, each man must examine his own work, that word examine is doxymadso, and it means that in the context, here it is, I need to be careful not to evaluate my spirituality by comparing my life to other people, which we all tend to do. I need to examine and test my life in the light of Christ's holy character. That's the only standard. And Paul is saying, as you have your attitudes, your character, your actions, evaluate in that, you know, if God has done a work of grace, then there would be reason to boast. But of course, not just boast in self, but boast in God's grace, what He's done in your life. But that type of boasting produces what? A humility and a tenderness. Because you realize all the glory goes to God. Now, very, very quickly, and I'm just going to go boom, 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 boom like this. Now we can just look at the passage, and I think six truths come out of it. Number one, burdens are reality in a fallen world. I don't care how great a believer you are. I don't care how deeply you've grown in Christ. We live in a world where you're going to hit burdens that would, be, that would tempt to crush you, that would overwhelm you. And that takes us to the second point. We are not self-sufficient. We need one another. We desperately need one another. We're desperately dependent upon one another. Don't think you can do it alone. I mean, if you're under a burden and it's crushing you, It's possible no one in the body of Christ is aware. Don't be foolish. Get open. Get transparent. Let the body, let your friends in in your Sunday school class know. Let the ministerials, whoever it is, let us know. I need help. I am struggling. That's okay because we've all been there. And we're all going to continue to be there. Third, it's obvious that burden, burden bearing is a command what? To all believers. This is a command to every single member of the body of Christ. Fourth, burden-bearing is how you fulfill the law of Christ. And don't miss the power of this truth. How do we love one another? We're told, here's how you do it. You bear one another's burdens. 
You're saying, I'm struggling with my place in the body of Christ. You know, well, what does God want me to do? I'll give you the greatest vocation that any believer could ever, ever grasp, and that would be to be a burden bearer. I'm going to give my life to keep my eye watching on this church family. I'm going to be looking for those people that are struggling with burdens that are very, very heavy, and then I'm going to do everything I can to lighten that burden for them whether it's through prayer, whether it's through practical existence, whatever it might be. And see, that's one of those things we, you know, we don't elevate, you know, you know, is maybe some great gift or function, but according to here, it's the greatest thing you can do. Because Jesus said the greatest is not the one that's what behind this pulpit or leading the music or doing this. He said the greatest is what? The one that's the servant of all. That bears one another burdens. Uh, the fifth truth that's obvious, we've already touched on, pride hinders burden bearing. Pride hinders. Comparing ourselves to one another. You know, having a pecking order. Uh, that creates an insensitivity, a rigidity. And then number six, we see it's very important to distinguish heavy and light loads. It's very important to distinguish, you know, I can come in and help shoulder, but I can't assume responsibility for their lives. And then very quick in closing, because I do want to finish this message, look at the fourth and the last way we're to serve one another. We're to build up one another, to build up one another. Galatians 6.6, 6, the one who is taught in the Word is to share all good things with one who teaches him. I personally don't believe this is necessarily a verse talking about uh, providing material support uh, for those who teach and preach the Word of God. Now, that's taught in other areas of Scripture, but hear that word share, circle that word share. It's the word koinonia, from which we get our word fellowship. And I think in the context, this is what's being said, to make it very, very simple, but very pragmatic. pragmatic. As I'm serving you, I need to see that as an opportunity to build you up in the Word of God. As I reach out to my fallen brother to pick him up, dust him off, get him back on the right trail, I need to walk along with him to build him up through the Word of God so that he's prepared to not only meet that temptation, but to overcome it the next time. As I come to you to help you shoulder that, that burden, I'm to see that as an opportunity to build you up in God's truth, to build you up in God's Word so that you see God's purposes where you don't plunge into discouragement with God, getting angry with God. Why would He let this happen? And I'm able to encourage you, hey, God's in control. He won't allow anything to touch your life that He can't ultimately work for your spiritual good, your greater benefit. We need to trust Him right now and, and I'll walk with you through this and you just... Continue to build that brother or sister up in the Word of God. And then as we close, look at the application. Again, folks, this is a message that's, that's to be practiced, not so much preached. And so here's my question to you, and I pray that you'll respond in your sermon notes. Number one, who can I serve through a practical act of love? And put a name there. You know, this next week, who can I serve through a practical act of love? Or number two, who has been tripped up by sin and needs to be gently picked up, brushed off, and restored their walk in Christ? Is there anybody that I'm aware of 
that I know struggling here, that I don't need to retreat. I need to rush to them, as Martin Luther said, with the love and tenderness of a mother, concern for them, to restore them. Number three, is there anyone who needs help to shoulder the weight of a heavy burden? Do you know anyone that's struggling right now, that's being crushed by somebody, having difficulty lifting that, carrying that, and they, they could use you, if nothing else, if nothing else, to come along and say, you know, I'm aware of what you're going through. I want you to know I love you. You're not going to have to walk through this alone. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. I mean, we may be able to do more than that, but what greater thing can we do for one another than to truly pray for one another? That's one of the ways we bear one another's burden. And the fourth, is there somebody who needs my fellowship? Where I can help build them up in their faith. So again, I've put those questions in your sermon notes that you would answer those questions with names of people that you could reach out to and demonstrate care, demonstrate love. Father, what a um, practical message today. I can't think of a more practical message. And Lord, this is not one that uh, is to be preached as much as it's to be practiced. And Lord, as I uh, stated a couple weeks ago, Lord, what I've preached today... I've learned from the members of this church family over these last 40 years. I praise you that there are many that are seated here that consistently practice what I just preached. But Lord, as we've talked about throughout this entire series, our prayer is that we would excel even more in our love for one another. That we would have greater numbers come on board in serving one another and being committed to restore one another and bearing one another's burdens and providing fellowship not just to have a meal together or coffee or tea but in that fellowship to build them up with truth with the word of God and Lord that I know that thought that I shared it, it, it captured my heart convicted me that there's really no greater vocation that any believer could ever embrace than to be a burden bearer. To look for people that they can come alongside and just lighten the load. Because it's in doing that that we fulfill the law of Christ. And when we're being most like Him. So Father, as we talked about uh, earlier with the quality of gentleness and meekness, only you can produce this in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you do do desire our cooperation. It begins with the surrender of our rights, expectations, preferences, to serve you and to serve others. And then, Lord, it also requires that we do not resist you when you allow us to enter that process of brokenness. 
where you're trying to bring us to a place of true humility, where we realize our utter and absolute dependence upon you, which would create in us a desperation for you that would result in a determination to follow you. So, Lord, be that power at work in our hearts and in our lives, because only then can we live, live these truths for your honor and for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.